Welcome again to Grace Point, Grace Point, Grace Community. Boy, I got Grace Point on my mind. Thanks again for being here at Grace. So we've, uh, Grace Point and Paulding are, are, they just enjoyed our last service with us and uh, we're just excited about that. I, I don't know if you heard, but last Sunday was our soft launch. That's the R launch of Grace Point up in Northwood and we had 91 people there. So that was a great Sunday uh, to get that going. And then, and in two weeks will be our hard launch, which means that's the launch we're inviting people to come, uh, the public to come in as we, we launch that ministry. So we're really excited about how things are happening. I know uh, there's all this activity happens around our ministry that I know people aren't fully aware of. So I try to update you on that every time. We've had a bunch of volunteers up at Grace Point making, doing painting. Uh, we're doing some remodeling. Uh, Jason uh, Pooster's leading in some of that. We just, just a ton of people up there. I was, I was actually going to read some of the people that were helping us, and the list got so long that I realized I'd be here for a long time reading names, so that wouldn't be good. But just appreciate everybody that's been up there making that happen. It looks like everything's coming into place. A little slower than we thought, but it's all happening, and we'll be fully ready in two weeks when the public's invited in, and so we're really pumped about that. And of course, here on this campus, still things are going full, the, the uh, upward basketball is in full swing, stopped by yesterday, saw, we got a bunch of volunteers involved in that. It's actually on the downhill now, we're more than halfway through upward already, and there's a lot of people from our community that are involved in that, and we're excited about being able to provide that, and also as a means to outreach, and so we're pumped about all that. I haven't told you, but remember the week I talked about Fight Club so much, uh, two weeks ago or whenever that was, we had 175 men show up. For, this is the largest crowd we ever had. I thought it was going to be the smallest crowd. It turned out to be the largest crowd we ever had. And, and then what's amazing is some of those guys are also doing Upward. Some of them are doing, they're coaching two teams at Upward. They're doing Fight Club. They're doing all this stuff. Just, uh, it's just an amazing place to be. And then there's all the volunteers that make every Sunday morning happen. It takes 100 volunteers to pull off what we do for our three services here every Sunday morning. We just have a lot of people involved. It's really cool stuff. Of course, some of our leaders now have gone up to Grace Point to commit to at least a year or two up there. And that's left some vacancies here. So if you want to jump in, now's a good time to do that. And uh, we, we need more leaders. We want to be like a leadership factory here. So we'd love for you to jump in for that. We're really excited about what's happening at Grace. And then Jay was talking about time change. Time change, here, here's, here's the weird thing with me and time change. Okay, we all get that next Saturday, between Saturday and Sunday, overnight, we're going to lose an hour. It's spring forward, so we skip that hour, and we all get less sleep, right? And then what happens, what Jay was talking about, is that we always have kind of a bad attendance at church on that day because people don't get as much sleep. But here, here's what doesn't compute with me. We have three services. They're actually spread out an hour and a half apart. That means if you go to, the first, if you go to this service, you can just go to third service and you'll net 30 minutes. You know, so I, I don't really understand all that, but hey, that's the way it goes. And so we are bribing the first service people. If you come at 8.30, we have donut holes. And apparently Jay's providing pillows and blankets. I don't know about that, but we've got the donut hole. We're, we'll just, we're excited about 
want you to come back next Sunday because that's the Sunday before our big launch. And not only is there a big launch up in Northwood with Grace Point, but also we're doing the same thing in Paulding and also here. We're sending out a mailer. We're starting a new series. All that's in play. That's for us as well where we want to invite our community in. And uh, we're going to talk about relationships as something that might draw people in, but then share them the gospel. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in this sermon. We're, we're speaking, we're in the new series, Lost and Found, and where we're getting that name is actually from a passage in Luke 15, and that's where we are today. Tim kicked it off, talking about Zacchaeus last Sunday, that Luke also records uh, that story for us, I think it's in Luke 19. Well now, before that, we're going to Luke 15, and I, I want you to catch the context of what's going on, because Jesus tells a couple of stories, unlike Zacchaeus, these are parables, short stories with a point. And we're going to look at those, and, and they'll sound familiar to you, but, but I want you to really focus in on them. you got to understand the context of what's happening to get the most out of what Jesus is saying. He's in his public ministry, Jesus is. It only lasts three years. And in the middle of that public ministry, he is spending time with irreligious people, pagan people non-godly people, wrong side of the tracks people, profane people, anti-God people. He's hanging out with those types of people as, not all the time, but a lot. And he's doing that so much that the religious types, the Pharisees and the scribes, they're noticing it, and he does it so much they don't like it. And what I want us to grasp here is Jesus is not just happens to be hanging around them because he walks through a crowd and they kind of happen to be there. It, it's way more than that. He's hanging out with them, eating with them, befriending them. That's what's happening. And that's what's so offensive to the Jewish leaders is that he is befriending these people. Now, he's not doing their sin but he's hanging out with them as friends. He's engaging them in life on life. He's engaging them in conversation. They're not intimidated to come and talk to him. So that's kind of what's going on. So let's pick it up in Luke chapter 15. And we're going to start in verse 1. Are you ready? Good week. All right. Verse 1. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And then quick fire, he goes right into another story that teaches the same thing. Verse 8. Or what woman, if she has... If she has ha if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. When she has found it, she calls 
together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So as we think about these two short parables, stories that Jesus told to teach a point, I I want us to understand them basically by answering three questions. What is Jesus saying? Why is he saying it? And how does that impact us? So just going to go through these and find these three answers, and I think it will help us understand. What's he saying? Why is he saying it? How does that impact us? So we start up. What is Jesus saying? Remember the context. There's tension in the air. The religious leaders and the scribes, they're following Jesus around. They're paying attention to what he's doing because he's amassing a greater and greater following. He's teaching as one in authority, but it's totally different. It has a whole different vibe than how they teach. And so they're pretty zoned in. And now Jesus is spending all this time, as Tim pointed out last time, with tax collectors who are considered like traitors and, and sinners. He's hanging out with these people, doing life with them, having eating with them, connecting with them. And, and they're grumbling about it. They're not liking it. It's like these two worlds are colliding in Jesus. And there's tension in the air. The religious leaders are grumbling. Then Jesus tells these parables, and he tells the parables because he wants to say something to them. And basically, there's three truths that are outlined in both of these stories. And that is simply, lost people matter to God. Lost people mandate or dictate an all-out search. And then the last thing is when lost people are found... There's joy and celebration with God. So basically, that's what he's saying as he works through these two stories. That's what he wants them to get as as he's saying that. All lost people, no matter who they are, matter to God. And we get that pretty much, I think, here at Grace. And over the years, we've seen God do really amazing things. And here's what I mean. All lost people. There's nobody out of God's reach. Nobody. Not the worst person you know are they out of God's reach. Now, every once in a while we'll have something that happens in our life that'll bring home a a scriptural truth to you. Some people have heard me say this before, but an event happened with me that just illustrated this truth. One time years ago, I needed some work done on my car and I, I took it into a place and because I couldn't do it. It was beyond my expertise. So that's all happening. And I'm just standing in the place. And the place is kind of rough. It's dirty. We got, there's language. Well, what we used to call a lot of colorful language, you know, going on. I mean, people shouting, yelling, spitting, being mad, angry. You know, all this stuff going on. Kind of, it's just kind of a guy place to hang out. And I'm standing there. And then I'm noticing the guy that's knocking out the bulk of the work. Who's sort of the chief of the tribe. Who's doing everything way more than everybody else. Including the cussing and everything else. You know, that guy. I remember just focusing on that guy. And and I'm standing there. I don't have anything to do. So I'm standing there. And I start praying. Not like praying, you know. But, you know, I just start praying with nobody knowing it. And and here's what I'm thinking. I'm like, okay, God, you want us to reach everybody. We, We need to reach our whole community 
and we want to reach men also. And here's this guy. This guy, as far as I can tell, I've been, I've been around for a decade here in this area. This guy is probably the guy furthest from God of any guy I've seen in this town. How do we reach this guy? You love this guy. How are we reaching him? So that's my prayer. I'm just asking God these questions. He's not answering, you know, it's just, although maybe he has. But so that's it. Game over, I go, car's fixed, you know, go on. About two months later, I come to church Sunday morning, and I see this guy in church. And I'm just like, what, what are the odds? I had just been thinking, this guy is the last guy that will ever show up at Grace. Two months later, he's in our church, and I find out some, one of you, somebody who knew him well, had invited him, and he came. And he started attending church every Sunday. Boom, just like that. I was just like stunned. It's one of those kind of teaching moments, teaching yourself. You're like, wow, why am I underestimating God? And then I find out this guy has all kinds of friends at Grace. And now we're friends. I mean, all that happened. God just did that. The point being this. Nobody is out of God's reach. Nobody is. And... and, God has a heart for the lost. All lost people matter to God. And God's on a full-out search. I mean, it matters. It it means something to God. And, And then the second truth that Jesus is weaving in here is that lost people deserve or mandate or dictate a relentless search, an all-out search. God doesn't just sit back and and say, well, maybe somebody will change their mind. No, God aggressively searches out for the lost. He aggressively loves. He aggressively seeks. And, And we're supposed to have that same attitude. We're supposed to be part of that. As a matter of fact, and Peter says in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not, and, and this is the whole thing, Sometimes we talk about, you know, in the future we know Jesus is coming back, but wow, it's been like 2,000 years, so, you know, when's that going to happen? Here's the answer to that right here. It's God's love. It's 2 Peter 3.9. It says this, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. People talk about, well, I wish I knew what God's will is in this situation. Here's God's will. God's will is that all would come to repentance. God wants everybody. He seeks all the lost. And he wants us to be a part of that. We don't have to wonder if it's God's will for us to reach, seek, or try to influence somebody for God. It is. He's already told us his will about this. He's also given us a command he's given us a mission and then that third truth lost people matter to god they weren't all out search and when they're found great cause for joy and celebration both stories that's what jesus is saying that's what he's talking about and this joy it's crucial it keeps it shows up in both parables and there's actually another story later that we'll talk about next and it's there too joy celebration do you see what's happening the Jesus is telling these stories. You got a group over here of the Pharisees and the scribes. 
they're, there's tension in the air. They're not liking it. They're pointing. They're talking. They're grumbling. They're griping. Now look at what Jesus is doing. That ain't right. And Jesus is over here interacting, eating, and fe- fellowshipping, you know, connecting with these non-believers, pointing them to the Father. And then Jesus is saying, don't you get it? When just one of these come, there's joy and celebration in heaven. By the way, who's celebrating? God. There's joy with God. God has joy over one sinner who repents. Which means God has had joy. There was celebration in heaven when I became a believer, when you became a believer. And if you haven't become a believer yet, when you do, there will be celebration and joy in heaven It'll happen. That's what Jesus is telling us. He's just saying that's the way it is. That's the heart of the Father. That's the heart of God rejoicing to see one person come to him. So that's what Jesus is saying. Next question we want to answer is, well, why is he saying it? Why is he saying it? Well, he's saying it because you have these groups, and he's he's saying this within the hearing of the religious types, the Pharisees, and the scribes, and he's saying that for them to catch that God wants them involved in making this happen. This is a value for God. Lots of people matter to him. They weren't an all-out search, and there's rejoicing when they're found. Jesus wants them to get this, to internalize that, to see that truth, and get engaged, involved in the process. He wants his hearers to identify with the shepherd and the woman, if they're believers. That's what being a Christian is. Now, it's not just a parable that he's teaching us. This is his main commission, his, the main mission that God has given to all of us, right? Matthew 28, we all know it. 28, 18, and Jesus came up and spoke to them saying... All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, and then 19, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the job, the mission that God has given to every single believer. So not everybody here is a believer. But most of us here are believers. And if you are, this is a mission that God has given to you just as much as he's given it to me. All of us. Go, make, disciples. It's what he's saying. Now, I think sometimes because disciple is kind of a churchy word, people here make disciples and, and maybe that doesn't exactly translate into your life. So let me flesh it out for you. What, what does that look like for just the average person? It just make disciples just means this. God wants us to love people, to help them. So we help people. What God wants us to do is identify people who don't know him, then help them and befriend them. Just do something for them or however, just be nice to them, do something for them, help them, which is a way of, of loving them, and then get to know them and befriend them. And then as you befriend this person that doesn't know, doesn't know God, then you'll, you communicate with them. And while you're communicating and just talking about life, 
then there'll be times where it will be very natural for you to point them to God. Well, this is what God has done for me, or here's why I think this way on that, because God said this. And so you'll work that into your conversation. It's really very natural, unless we're afraid to do that. Well, don't be afraid. Just, just share that as, as the God part of your life. And then when that happens, that typical will evoke some sort of a response or questions. And then you could be at a place where you share the gospel or the good news or the fact that you came to Christ as a free gift, God died for your sins and all that stuff. Or you, you get to a place where you just invite them to church because they already get that, that you know something about God that maybe they don't know or, or you understand something about God that maybe they're not sure is right or whatever the case may be. You invite them to church. Then when they come or when you're sharing the gospel with them and talking to them about God, um, many times what happens is then they believe. They respond to God. They trust God. And then when that happens, whether they're coming to church or not coming to church, well, then you, you stay engaged in their life and you sort of shepherd them, help them get started in the Christian life. That's all, that's all make disciples means. All of us can do this. And all of us are commissioned to do it. All of us are told this is our job by God. And so we need to be, that's the whole point. That is why. That's the why of Jesus even telling these stories. And so we see people talking to people and people coming to Christ all the time here at Grace. And we have a story that I wanted to share. Uh, this is Justin's story right here. growing up, um, you know, my family never really committed to any kind of church. Um, I was baptized Catholic, uh, began CCD, dropped out real quick. It really wasn't my thing. So high school, I was, I was beginning to embrace being atheist. I would challenge a lot of Christians in my class. I would debate with them that I didn't believe God was real. And I, I really didn't find any reason to. Um, I also began dating a girl. Um, we were one grade apart, and we continued to date for five years. She was pretty. We both played soccer. We both liked sports. We you know, got along, had a lot in common. Um, and you know, sometimes things didn't go the best. Um, when things went downhill, we would, we would break up, have a short uh, um, distance time, and uh, we, I would often go to the things, you know, do things like partying, um, smoking, drinking, you know, really got into some bad habits. After high school, um, we'd get back together. Um, we ended up moving in with each other, and, you know, we, we would get into a lot of fights. We would oftentimes threaten each other, you know, moving out, and you know, and it just wasn't wasn't a healthy relationship. Um, and after two years living with each other, it's kind of over. I went out of that relationship, figuring I was going to do whatever I wanted, um, you know, and have have a fun time. But it, things didn't go so great. 
I picked up my old hobby of playing basketball at night, you know, Hedges Park, and uh, me and all my friends would go out, play some competitive games. Um, but when things didn't go well, and when, when games didn't go my way, you know, maybe I wasn't scoring, I'd go home and I'd feel so bad inside. One of my friends that I played basketball with um, was Christian. Um, you know, he's also one of my best friends. And when he played the game, you know, you just saw so much joy. Whether a win or a loser, he was having fun. And he would really devote it all to Christ. And, and I was kind of jealous of that, that you know, happiness. I, I kind of wanted to, to have what he had. And I began to, to talk to him, you know, and, and ask him questions, you know, how he was saved, you know, and, and, and really what brought him to Christ. I started to pursue a relationship with Christ. I didn't know all the facts. Um, I just kind of knew enough. Um, I was invited to church by some of my friends, um, Darian, Brad, Rob, and we all went um, actually to Grace. Um, it was a great time, you know, and that's when I really started getting behind it all and, and wanting to learn more. I got to the point where I knew I needed Jesus. The only way I can describe what I did was that I put my faith in Christ and Christ alone. Um, humbly and graciously accepted what he did on the cross for me. It didn't matter if I won or I lost, or even if I had somebody go home to at night because I had Jesus. After putting my faith in Christ, so many things have changed. I find so much more joy in the little things in life. I find the most joy in leading others to God. That's what I live for. So Justin's story there, and, and I just want you to think about something. Who impacted his life the most? Wasn't a pastor, right? Some friends. A particular friend who he, got, he could talk to God about, and several friends inviting him to church. You know, I think that's the thing. I, I think as believers, we're good at being nice to people and befriending people, but we don't take the next step. It's the mission, the commission, what we're supposed to be doing for God is, is make disciples, to talk about him, to, to lead them to know more about God, point people to God. You know, that, that's, that's what we, we want to be about. That's the most important thing. That's the core of everything we do. That's our culture. That's our DNA. That's what, that's what we live for. That's what we want to emphasize here at Grace. In order to get that, it's we get that when we focus on what God's done for us in the gospel. And he's told us, go, make disciples. That's for all of us, every single one of us. That's why he's put us here. And we want to we get involved. That's the whole why of Jesus telling these stories. So we'll get that. I got to tell you. One thing I so much appreciate about Grace is if you could have seen Grace 25 years ago or even 20 years ago, a lot has changed. 
Because here at Grace, we had mature believers, seasoned members, who, who like church a certain way, who are willing to allow us to adjust how we did church to make a greater impact on, on the people who didn't come to church, a, a greater impact in our community so we could speak their language. Now, that wasn't our seasoned members at the time. That wasn't their preference. It was really totally not their preference. But they allowed that to happen, and they stuck it out, and they kept paying the bills. And, and then sacrificing to build this room, and, and, and now we have three services. It's just, we see this at white because increasingly the core mission that God has given us has become our culture. It's the most important thing to us. It's Peter Drucker, the, the business guru, you know, had a famous saying, very true. He says, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And what he's saying there, it's what we love, what we're passionate about, that is what we do best. Even though other things that we're not passionate about, we might strategize and try to figure it out and all that. But way better than strategy is that this is what we're passionate about. This is our culture. This is our DNA. This is our purpose. That's more important. And that's what God has allowed us to, to build here at Grace. So what Jesus said, what, what's he saying in the parables? Why is he saying it? And now the third question we want to answer is, how, how does that impact you and me? What's the point? Well, it goes back to the why. Jesus saying this so we will understand God's heart for people. And, and then that we, that would sink down in our hearts deep enough that we would do something about that. That we would be involved in seeing people around us who don't know God know him. God goes to great effort to restore lost sinners. And when that happens, there's joy. And, and the question is, are we a part of that? To begin the service as naming all, all the different areas of ministry and, and just the hundreds of people that are involved in different things to make our ministry work. So that's part of it. But really, it's, it's realizing also that our mission field is out there where we live, at our work, at our school, and that we're making an impact on people. The gospel, and I've been saying this a lot, but it's all about the gospel. The gospel is the core. Spiritual growth in the Christian life is not growing beyond the gospel. It's not like, well, we start with the gospel and then we move on beyond that. Really, the, the Christian life, spiritual growth happens when we go deeper. We drill down deeper into the gospel. That's when Christian growth happens. Christian growth doesn't happen when we know a couple more things, a couple more facts from the Bible. Christian growth happens when we are so overwhelmed with what God has done for us as sinners that we can't help but want to respond and do what God's called us to do. And I think sometimes we get that turned around. 
we keep falling into the thinking that, that the gospel is sort of the launching point of Christianity. The gospel, which just means good news, the gospel is where we hear the good news, and then if we hear it, that's, that's the message that we as believers have responded to, so we respond the way God's asking us to respond, which is not by works, but through faith and trust. So we trust that, that it's true, and we place our trust in Jesus. He died for our sins. It's a total gift. We don't deserve it. None of us do. And he's offering us forgiveness if we'll just respond in faith and trust. And then we'll often we'll pray to express that faith and trust in what we call salvation prayer. And then a lot of times people, that's what they think of when they think the gospel. That it sort of launches the Christian life. But it doesn't. It, it commences our life journey, but the gospel is the whole experience. The gospel is not the diving board of Christianity. The gospel is the pool that we swim in. I mean, the gospel is our day-to-day -day life. And it's when we get that, when we appreciate that, when we focus on that, when we drill down on that, the gospel, that news, and what God has done for us, that's when our life is, is changed. We don't become better disciples by memorizing or figuring out the 10 steps to become a better disciple. We become better disciples when we focus on the 10 billion steps God took to get to us. And when we are overwhelmed by his love and his relentless search for us, that's when we grow. That's when we get serious about sharing the gospel with other people. It grows out of deep personal experience with the gospel in our own life. We realize how much God's loved us. There's a famous, there, there's a guy, uh, St. Francis of Assisi. I've been hearing about this guy all my life when I've gone to church. He had this saying, it's a really popular saying. He says, preach the gospel, if necessary, use words. How many have heard that before? Preach the gospel, if necessary, use words. I've heard that a thousand times. It's memorable. It's quotable. It's tweetable. But it's wrong. Because you cannot share the gospel without words. The gospel is news. The gospel is information. The gospel is in words. You can't do it without words. That, that would be like, hey, I'm going to share with you my phone number. If possible, I'll use numerical digits. And that's all the phone number is. It's just numbers. You can't communicate it without numbers. The gospel can't be communicated without. Now, I get probably what, what this guy was trying to say is that, hey, we need to live our lives in such a way that attracts people. I get all that. And I think a lot of us do that well. But we stop short with the words. And that's what the gospel is. We earn a hearing. We befriend people. We help them. They, they befriend us. They appreciate us. But we stop at the words. But that's exactly what our mission is. To make disciples always requires that we talk about God. 
And that's what we're all called to do. And when we study the gospel enough, it impacts us in a way that, that we want to share. When I say study the gospel, I don't mean study the gospel like a seminarian studies doctrine or a seminarian Bible school guy. I'm not saying study the gospel like a, a Bible college guy studies doctrine. I mean study the gospel like we would study a beautiful sunset that impacts our soul. We study the gospel like a a man off at war who has a who longs for his fiance studies her picture in his foxhole. I mean study the gospel like that. And when you do that, it will motivate you to share the gospel with words because you want people to get it. We're all called to do ministry. I'm not saying everybody needs to be a pastor. But by the way, we need pastors. We here at Grace, we want to be a leadership factory. We want to, there are a lot of leadership roles whether you're working for the ministry as your for your paycheck or not. We have roles. We we, we just mentioned a bunch of people went up to Northwood within that create and they're all mostly leaders. And so that creates a void. So we need to keep we need to be a leadership factory. But that's not my main point. What, what I'm saying is, no matter what you do in life, if you're a businessman, if you're a school teacher, if you excel in some area of your life, why do you think God has given you the talent and the abilities and the intellect to, to excel like that? Do you think it's only so that you can buy more things to live a more comfortable life? And that maybe you could save up enough money to retire early so you can spend a third of your life on vacation? Do you think that's the end game as far as God's concerned? No. God's given you talents and abilities to leverage for his kingdom. Every believer, every single believer, God has a role. He's put you where you are specifically to impact the people around you. And if you don't know any non-believers, you need to befriend some people. Because that's what God wants for your life. Make disciples. Leverage your talents. Leverage your influence. Leverage your impact. To make a difference for him. That's what he wants for every one of us. Some of us get to do this, put more time into it, get to do it full time. We even get paid. But before I decided to become a pastor, you know, I was thinking the same thing like many of you that, hey, I'm in my job. But what am I going to do for God? What am I going to do for eternity? What am I going to do that really matters? Some people in this room probably have people that they are are very close to, that they love, maybe somebody you might be close to, that's not even a believer. Have they heard with words the gospel from your mouth? They need to. 
So everybody you're closest to are believers. Praise God that God's put other people in your world for you to impact. Use your, your skills for his kingdom. Can you imagine being involved in something that would cause the God of the universe to celebrate joyfully? It, it's weird to even think about it. being part of the process where just one sinner repents and turns to God. Let's figure out a way as we close this service, let's figure out a way how this week and next week on Monday through Friday, how we can be involved in the mission that God has given to every one of us. If we're believers, and I get not everybody here is a believer and I know my message has been targeting believers come back hang with us we we want you to be here we want you to come back let's stand together for prayer father in heaven we, th we thank you for the day and we are all those of us who are believers are stunned and humbled by the fact that we are sinners enemies from you shaking our fist at you whether we even know it or not and you love us, and you love us more and more and more, and you drench us with your love, and you sent your one and only son to voluntarily give up his life, be tortured to death in order to win our freedom, in order to save our souls for eternity. Thank you. God, help us to understand your heart for the lost. Help us understand that, that it's your desire that we take part into seeing the lost come to you. And then we get to know that there's rejoicing in heaven. We got to be part of that. God, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the mission. Thank you for the purpose and meaning that you give to our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for being here at Grace. See you next Sunday, tired or not. See you next Sunday.